Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Hope you can join us as soon as you can, because I think we'll have some room in here for everyone who wants to come. I have been itching to come back. Some have asked me, and rightly so, rightly so, when are we going to begin the School of the Word again? Well, of course, there were some requirements that had to be met before we could do that. And then some have said, well, why don't you do this, that, and the other? And I have to say, I didn't have really a release from the Holy Spirit, as far as I understand it, to be doing this until just a few weeks ago. And, and I just cannot either teach or preach or counsel or whatever if I don't feel <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is in it. You know what I'm talking about. He's everywhere. But personally directing and wanting this to happen. So there's no way that I can do it without that. And so if anyone is, wants to complain, we should have done this two or three weeks ago, whatever. Unless I've missed the Holy Spirit, you go to God and tell him how wrong he was. But, hey, look, so glad to see all of you. All of you know Mar and Paul Cato up here? A.J. has his mask on. His face is just low. <laughs> so it is, it is exciting to see you back. It's exciting to see most of you front. Back, front, it's, it's like, well, we have to kind of get ourselves back into shape in here. Uh, we're continuing with the study of God's love. And as we do that, the first, at least this week and next week, I'm not sure about the third week, we're going to be doing a little review. So for those of you who already have a firm grasp on everything, just hold tight. Let's just go through it, listen to it again. But if you're like I am, I have somewhat of an understanding, let's say, of the, the term justification. But every time I read about it, every time it is explained, I just get, and maybe you do too, that burning sensation inside of me. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so, even though we're going to be doing some review, there's nothing better than to review what God has already shown us about himself. And so I'm excited to do that. We go back to our study of the love of God. And I think of all the essential attributes of God. I think we understand eternity. What does that mean? A very long time. I think when we look at the word immutable, and we'll look at these in a little more detail, meaning no change, I think we understand that pretty well, no change. I think when we look at the word omniscient, what does omniscient mean? Knowing all. God's a know-it-all. I think we understand these pretty well. But when it comes to the attribute 
that is most essentially experienced by us. I didn't say the most important attribute of God because there is no essential attribute that is more important than any other attribute. That's wrong thinking. But when we come to the attribute of God's love, God's kind of love, that is the attribute with which we are mostly concerned about and interested in because that's the attribute that mostly impacts our personal lives and relationships, correct? Eternity, how, how often are we thinking about eternity? How often are we thinking about immutability? Not unless the teacher says something, but love. And I also believe that love is the least understood and therefore practiced attribute of God. Now, I didn't say we don't love one another. I'm not chastising us. And so if there's any attribute of God which we must understand to a much deeper way that will affect my personal relationship with God, therefore my personal relationship with one another. It is this attribute of God's love. And so this morning we go back and review a little bit. I'm really actually going to try to get through my notes each time, and I've actually shortened my notes because the class will end, I don't know, maybe 9, 20, 9, 30, no, about 20 till or so. So, so let me, let's go ahead and through this. Now, as we proceed to go back and get into the study to where we were, we need to go and do some reviewing in order to move forward. So let's do that. When we speak about God's love, we are speaking about that which is essential to God's being God. God's love is one of his, what we call, essential attributes. Now, I want to make sure we understand what we mean by essential attributes, because there are attributes of God that are not essential to his being, but attributes that he chooses to express as a result of his essential attributes. We'll get into that a little later. An essential attribute is an attribute or characteristic, if you would, that causes God to be who he is. Without any of these essential attributes, God would not be God. Even if we think that a particular attribute is diminished just a little bit diminished in relation to another attribute. This one is important, yes, but it's compared to this attribute, it's not quite as important. Do you see what we do? This is important about God, but you know, when it comes to this attribute, well, the others are important, AJ, but not quite at the same level. That's impossible. 
And so we must see the essential attributes are comprehensively and completely equal to God being God. Apart from any one of these, God ceases to be who he is. Even a diminution, a diminishing of any one of these attributes, then God is no longer God. And this is essential if we are going to understand and be able to walk in and be matured by God's love. Because one of the biggest struggles we have as the people of God is this. If I do such and such, will God do such and such? If I don't do such and such, will that tie God's hands? And so we must understand in order to be the people whom Christ has set free. Remember Galatians 5.1, for it was freedom. Christ has set us free. Free to love and experience God. We must understand God's love as an essential attribute equal with the others and comprehensively included in the person of God to be, to make him God. So for God to be God, all of his essential attributes must simultaneously and comprehensively exist. Now, again, we've talked about this. This shouldn't be news to us. But once, once more, in order to study and understand the love of God accurately, biblically, we must do so in relation to not all of his essential attributes, because certainly we don't know them, and we're not even going to discuss many that are not in here. But we must understand the love of God in relation to the essential, the other essential attributes of God. Otherwise, we are going to misunderstand, misapply, and misreceive, and misrespond to God's love. Each of God's essential attributes is fully present in every other attribute. There is no such thing <clears throat> as this particular essential attribute standing on its own. We may look at it independent of the others as far as a discussion is concerned. But every attribute is contained in every other attribute. Do we see how this works? Are we getting this? Therefore, Love is contained in all of the other attributes, and all of the other attributes are contained in God's love. All are equally necessary to the nature and character of God. So what does this mean? This means that each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... Because God is a triune being. So that in each person of the Trinity, how many of the essential attributes exist? All of the attributes exist fully 
and are fully possessed by each person of the Trinity immediately and comprehensively and forever. So when we say God is omniscient, God is sovereign, God is love, God is whatever, we're saying that this is a descriptive of who the Father is, who the Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is. This means that each person of the Trinity fully and personally possesses every attribute simultaneously and comprehensively. So in this regard, in our past lessons, we allowed the following, we looked at the following attributes to inform us about the attribute of God's love. We've looked at God's aseity. We've looked at God's omniscience. Omni, well, I have omnipresent twice here, don't I? Omniscience, omnipresence omnipotence, immutability, sovereignty, and God's righteousness. I want to go through each of those pretty quickly over today and next time. But the first one we're going to talk about is God's aseity. Do you remember the word aseity? Without looking at the notes, could you define or at least give us some idea of what, what does that mean, God's aseity? I think it's Fair to say that when we talked about this several months ago, that was the first word like that we discussed when we started this series. For the most part, most of us had not heard the word aseity. It's it's not a common word. We normally don't hear sermons about the aseity of God. So what is aseity? Because you see, of all all of the essential attributes of God... As far as I can understand, aseity, if you would, and I don't even like saying it this way, but at least trying to convey an understanding, it is God's aseity, which is the fundamental reason or cause, if you would, or uncause, if you would, that allows us to know that God's essential attributes are what they are in him and to him. So what is aseity? We talk about the aseity of God. What does it have to do with? Is it in your notes? Essentially, what is aseity? Aseity is that term. It means say. It means of self, from self. So the word ah and se, say are put together, aseity. When we talk about the aseity of God, we're talking about God's unique self-existence. Self-existence. How many of you have... Listen to some of the scientists tell us that we now can go back through our computers, I suppose they can, I don't know, to whatever it is, five, six, whatever, billion years ago, right a nanosecond before the universe began. You know, they get way back there just before it began. And there was something there. There was something there. That for some reason, it's inert, it's not living, it's just something there. 
And then all of a sudden, boom! And things began to happen. And there was this humongous, tremendous explosion, and everything began to, over periods of billions of years, began to be evolutionized into what we have today. But you see, what they don't say is that something has always been. It had a beginning. Now, how can something that wasn't there have a beginning of its own? How can something that has no life begin to have life on its own? You see, when they talk about us, having foolish faith. The proof that something or someone has always been is our own existence. What we have here is proof That it all began somewhere in some way. Correct? Does that make sense? And how could something spring out of nothing? And so there is someone or something that always has been. And the one who has always been is God. And so his aseity is that word that describes his self-existence. Aseity means that God has uncaused, underived life in himself. What do I mean by underived life in himself? How many of us, which one of us is here and has always been here? Now, I know I may look old enough to have always been here, but I'm not. And so my life and your life, are our lives derived or underived? Which ones? Derived. In other words, we are who we are because someone came before us to cause us to be who we are today. And someone came before that one to cause that one to be who they were and et cetera, et cetera, all the way back to some kind of beginning. But you see, with God, that isn't so. With God, his life is underived. His life is who he is. He is life. He has gotten his life from nowhere, from no one. It has always been. This is what the aseity of God means. And so aseity means that each of God's essential attributes are also uncaused. That each of the essential attributes of God exist because God himself exists. That there is no essential attribute of God which ever had a beginning. And because none of the essential attributes had a beginning like God had no beginning, will these attributes as God ever come to an end? Because God's life is underived life. 
Can his life ever cease? Can it ever cease? No, because it never began. God's life cannot cease because God's life has never begun. And so when we talk about the attributes of God, they cannot cease. Why? Rosa? Because they never had a beginning. And so let's think about the love of God as we move through this. And let's not wait until we get specifically to the love of God in two weeks. So what does that mean about the love of God? Has it ever had a beginning? Yes or no? No. Will it ever have an ending? Hmm? No. Why? Because God's love is an assay love. Assay. Life in itself. It, he is love in himself. And so when we look at that and we begin to understand that, that God's love for me, for Billy, for Floyd, for Isaac, for Cody, for Warren, for Celeste, for Steve, for any of us, did that love ever have a beginning? Did it or not? In itself, essentially, did it or not? Will that love ever, for me, for you, will that love therefore ever cease? Will love ever cease? Will God ever cease? Yes or no? No. Therefore, the love who he is and his love for us which never has begun. We've experienced it at a particular point beginning. It's never begun. You see that in Ephesians 1, 4, before the foundation of the world in love, he predestined us to be conformed. Okay. Therefore, if it has never begun, will it ever end? Therefore, you see, is our salvation predicated on a decision for us, that we made to receive Jesus, call upon him, therefore God planted his love in us, or is God's love in us because God is love and has loved us forever? Which one is it? You see, we are the people of God's love. Right, Patsy? So, Dale, what does that mean? God has always known you. Why? Because the Father has always known the Son. The Son has always known the Holy Spirit. God has always known us. Because remember, there's no time in God. It's just present existence. And we, you know, that's, it kind of gives us a headache when we think about that. And so, having always known us, he created us within a time frame in order to display the glory of himself in us as his people. But the reason for this, why did God do it? Because he is. He is. Do we see that? 
Why did God love you, Judy? Because he is. Phyllis, why does God love you? Because he is. Once we begin to get the aseity of God deep within our minds and our hearts into our souls, we begin to be freed of the nagging attacks of the enemy that wants to equate who we are and how we are and what we do and when we do it and how often we do it with or with, with how it applies to whether or not God loves us or will continue to love us or how much he will love us. Do we see that? So Daniel, why does God love you, brother? He is. How long will God love you? He is. When does God love you? He is. How much does God love you? He is. You see, all of these qualifiers are significant to us, but have nothing to do with God. Do, do we see that? None of these qualifiers are in God. They don't belong to God. They belong to us who are time, time beings. He is. It's God's ever presence. Self-existence. God himself is the cause of who he is. And God himself is the underived cause, if you would, of himself being who he is. And because of that, there's nothing external. You need to remember, hear this clearly because it impacts us so strongly. There is nothing. May I repeat that word? There is nothing. May I say it one more time? There is what? Nothing outside of the person of God. There is no one outside of the person of God that can in any way, to any degree, at any time, move him, cause him, manipulate him. All of who God is is because he is God. All that God does is because he is God. All that God will do is because he is God. The aseity of God is most fundamental. If we're going to begin to understand the biblical love of God. Now, as we, as we look at this this morning, think about it for yourself. Can you feel it beginning to touch areas of your own relationship with God and begin to break chains? Because how many of us do this? Yesterday I did something very bad. What about my relationship with God? 
Does it change? Does it diminish? Or on the positive side, if I read my Bible an extra amount today, will it increase God's love? What's the answer? No. Why? Because God's love is his love because God is. And there can be no change in his love or any of his essential attributes, which we'll jump a little bit about immutability, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week. This means that all that exists has come into existence through this God who is self-existent. The aseity of God means that God in himself and by himself is absolutely comprehensively unneeding of anything or anyone external to himself. Now, I don't know if you're getting this or you're taking notes or you'll listen again, but you need to hear this. It means that God in himself and by himself is absolutely comprehensively unneeding of anything or anyone external to himself. So when we think, I need to share the gospel with that person because if I don't, What? They won't get saved and they won't hear the gospel. Therefore, God needs what? He needs me. He needs me. Really? Do you really think so? Do you think that God created you because until Kevin was here, I couldn't witness to Joe Blow. So please, Kevin. You think God needs you, brother? As a need in order to accomplish something? No. He chooses to. He relationally shares himself with. That's a decision of sharing himself. It is not a decision of, I got to do it, Darlene. I got to do it because if I don't do it, and if you don't do it, it ain't going to get done, sister. And how many of us have heard sermons that if you don't go out there and, and share the gospel, the people of the world, they will die in their sin because they'll never hear the gospel. How many of us have heard that? Can it be true? Cody, can it be true? Why? Because you see, the gospel is the proclamation Of the glory of God and his people. That's a short definition of the gospel. That is inclusive. The gospel is the declaration of the glory of God and his people. That's the gospel. The glory of God and his people. And so in what people? Those whom God has saved. And when will those people in the heart and mind and purpose of God, when were we saved as far as God's design and plan is concerned? When? Before the foundation. Why? Because God is. And so you see, it begins to take the burden, the burden 
the fleshly burden <clears throat> of how I live and what I do and how I do it. It begins to take that burden, what? From me, where it should never have existed, and places the burden upon whom? God. God. You see, as we look at this, I think it begins to become clearer, at least a little bit clearer, of how much of our love is being exercised in the living out and in the sharing and in the ministry of the gospel as we're trying to do this and as we're trying to do the other and as we better go ahead and do that and we have to do the other thing, don't you see? As a matter of necessity, if the gospel is going to achieve God's purpose, you understand the necessity based on that. Where does it all reside as far as purpose and accomplishment? Where? In God. How long has it existed in God that way? Forever. Why? He is. He is. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Remember, John begins, in the beginning. Where have you heard that before? In the beginning, God created Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. The first words of Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. What's the next sentence? All things were made by or through him. And what? Without him was nothing made that was made. God's a saity. <clears throat> now, John didn't write in the margin, Chris, that's a saity. That's a saity. You see, and when the Bible says this, when the first words of Genesis come on out, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning, God. When that is said in that ancient culture, when it is reiterated by John in the beginning, he's quoting from Genesis, Mark, the beginning of the gospel. He's going back to Genesis. Don't you see? Don't you see? Beginning mean when there was nothing, God is. Don't say God was. God is. He's never been a has-been. And he's, when he's saying that, they are declaring Something that is absolutely unique in those days, and it's still unique today. Because science will not cooperate with this understanding. Do we see that? It's still unique. There's no religion on the earth that has an assay. Assay, remember, self-existent. No religion on the earth that has an assay God. Why do we have one? Because he is assay. And we are here because of who he is. Not because of I needed it. or Not because 
I asked Jesus to save me. None of that. We're here for one reason. God's aseity. So you see, the aseity of God is affirmed in verse 3. What? All things were made through him or by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16 says the same thing. For by him and through him all things were created. So what is the connection between God's aseity and God's love? As God is self-existent, his love also is self-existent, owing its activity to nothing outside of him. Do you remember in Deuteronomy 7 when Moses was explaining why God has chosen Israel? Carrie, why did God save you? Well, because, and then you start giving reasons. Lisa, why did God save you? Well, because, and so what does he tell Israel, Moses to tell Israel in Deuteronomy 7? What is it, verses 6 and 7? He says, Israel, why did I save you, right? Essentially, isn't that what he's saying? Why? Why did I love you? I mean, it's not because you were this, that, and the other thing. I didn't love you because I knew you were going to say yes to my offer of eternal life. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? It makes it so much about me, don't you see? It's what I did. I'm saved because I called upon Jesus. You need to get a better grasp of the sanity of God. Why did I place my love upon you? Why do I love you? Because I love you. Well, what does that mean? That's circular. You love me because you love me. The problem with that in our minds is this, Charles. There has to be a reason you love me, and that reason has to be something of on about me. Right? And if the love of God has anything at all, even infinitesimally, something about me, then that means that something could be corrupted and therefore I would lose that love of God. Can it happen? So you see, to us... Why did God love us? Because God is. God is love. 1 John 4, verse 8 and verse 16. Because God is. Why does God use us? Because he is. What will God want of us tomorrow? He is. Everything exists in him. And for him. And by him. And through him. So to us, this seems circular. Because our type of love always looks within itself for reasons to love and to be loved. Isn't that true? Come on, come on, come on. So how does this God say it to answer to such questions as, why does God love me? Do we see this morning the answer? Do you have, that in, do you have those questions in your notes? Then put in there, because God is. How can I be sure that God will continue to love me? God is. What can I do to assure that God will continue to love me? What can I do? God is. There is no other answer. 
You see, these sorts of questions are answered in God's society. The reason God loves me is because he loves me. God's reason for loving us resides within himself. Why does God love me? Because God is. God is love. So quickly, I'll say this. You know, we've been through, or we're in the middle of going through 1 Corinthians. Remember, Paul talks to the church, and by the time we get to chapter 12, he's dealing with the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Then he gets to chapter 13, and he starts talking about agape, love. What was the prime, central problem in Corinth? Most of us would say this. They weren't exercising the gifts and their relational activities out of love. Wouldn't we say that? I know you're slow to answer because you're going to say, I'm not answering that. That old frog has something up his sleeve. That's not the answer. Listen to the answer. The problem that Paul is addressing is that they love themselves rather than loving with God's love. Steve, they loved themselves, therefore they did this and the other and all the stuff. And so Paul in 13 is saying, let me show you what this is all about. So next week we'll look at the next, what, seven, six or seven attributes. Thank you so, so much for being here.